Um, okay, so like Joel said, I am teaching this morning. Um, I think everyone pretty much knows me, but for those of you that don't, my name is Lindsay. Um, and I was going to start with just telling you a little bit about myself to help lead us into the story. Because I very much related to the place that the disciples found themselves in in our story. So, okay, a few things about me. I'm the youngest in my family. I have three older brothers, so I'm the only girl. And I know what you're thinking. Spoiled. <laughs> And that's a little bit true. I was a little bit spoiled. Um, but at the same time, I was also taught to be very independent, like from a very young age. Like my brothers weren't the brothers who did the things for me. They were like, no, you can take care of it yourself. Um, but also, I think because of being the youngest and because of being the only girl, I was constantly told by my parents I was too loud and I talked too fast. Like, all the time. I mean, my mom even had me uh, evaluated by a speech therapist when I was in elementary school because she couldn't understand me. And he came back with her and said, she talks perfectly fine. It's just she speaks too quickly for you to understand her. Um, and if you've ever had a conversation with me today, you know that I can do the same thing. I have the ten same tendencies. And so my parents still tell me, slow down and a little quieter, please. But as the fourth child, and Joel can agree, he can attest to this, you have to be loud to be heard. Otherwise, you're just ignored, right? It's just the way it happens. Um, also about me is I am the type of person who likes to have a plan in place. I like to have my checklists. I like to know what's coming next. Um, I like marking the things off as I do them. And I know what you're thinking, Lindsay. That is brand new information. I never would have guessed that about you. Um, but it's true. I like all of the things to be organized and to know what's coming next. And actually, one of my biggest fears that I have is missing out on something. Missing, like something I'm supposed to do, something important. Um, doing something wrong, letting someone down. Like there's all these, again, I could get into fourth child psychoanalysis and stuff, but we won't go there. Um, but because of this part of my personality, Sundays, whether we're in person or in Zoom, can be both my least and most favorite day of the week. Because Saturday nights, I worry, what have I forgotten? What have I not gotten done? What's going to be messed up? And then Sundays come and I can finally breathe and people come and we're online or we're in person and I get to see everyone. I get to see my babies from kids ministry and I can relax and enjoy going through the morning and all of the things. But I know that I put a lot of stress on myself leading up to the week. Um, and so that in between time for me, like when I have the work done and when the thing starts can be stressful. And that is where in our scripture today, that's where the disciples find themselves. They're in this in-between spot, this gap of like, oh, I don't know what to do next because they have witnessed Jesus coming back to life. He ascended into heaven um, and then he was just gone, right? And they had to wait for the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm gonna send my spirit um, in power to you and they weren't given any instructions as far as like what that meant. He left them in verse eight, which I know we didn't read today, but I wanted to read it out. It says, but you will receive with power, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So it was just like, okay, cool guys, just wait. 
He'll be here at some point, right? Just that word soon. Um, and I imagine if they're anything like us, they probably weren't very good at waiting. I feel like they probably had a million questions. I know I would have like, okay, so how do we know when the spirit comes? Or are we supposed to be doing something right now? while we wait? Um, how do we actually receive the Spirit? That's a very ambiguous thing that the Spirit's just going to come. Um, are there going to be instructions? Do we have to have our stuff together <laughs> to receive the Spirit, right? There's all of these questions that had to have been running around in their mind. And rather than just sitting and waiting and doing nothing, they decided to remedy at least a part of the situation they found themselves in that they could they could handle. Again, kind of like, I can't control this, so I'm going to do everything in my power to control this. I think, again, something we can all relate to. And so when our story opens up today, um, we have 11 remaining apostles, is what it says. The women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, his brothers, and other followers, other disciples of Jesus. 120 people, probably more, because a lot of times when you see those numbers of 120 or, or whatever it is, they're counting the men, unfortunately, and then the women and children who are there aren't always in the number. So I'm going to guess that there was probably more because Jesus had a lot of women disciples that were part of his ministry. And a quick vocab lesson for you. This won't take long, but a lot of times we hear the word disciple and we hear the word apostle. And it's hard to know the difference, okay? Like, what does that mean? Who's a disciple and who's an apostle? Um, a disciple is just somebody who is a follower or, or a student of a teacher or a rabbi, as they would say. And so Jesus had lots of disciples, lots of people that were his followers. But the word apostle means that special set of 12 that were set apart. Um, they were his inner circle. They were the ones who we hear about. We know all their names. Um, and that's the difference between an apostle and a disciple. So here's an easy way for all of us math nerds, if you're anything like me, the, the whole thing that a square can be a rectangle, but a rectangle can't be a square right? Um, and so an apostle is a disciple, like all apostles are disciples, but not all disciples are apostles. Um, and that's why you hear that word changed up and used d at different times. Okay, so the key word though, in that little bit that I want us to focus on for a minute is that word remaining, that there were 11 remaining apostles. And I'm not going to get into the whole story, but we know what happened before Easter. We know that Judas Iscariot is the one who betrayed Jesus. So Jesus was arrested and he was crucified and the whole story went down. And so at this point in the story, Judas is no longer with the disciples. Peter gets into it a little bit in the verses that aren't included in the lectionary. Um, and I'm okay that we didn't read them out loud. They're a little bit like, eh, I don't want to really read that out. Um, <laughs> but Peter does this really good job of painting Judas as, this is why we use the word Judas, as the Judas, as the betrayer, as the only one who did anything wrong. And don't get me wrong, what Judas did was pretty bad. Um, <laughs> but Peter really like glosses over the fact that all of the other apostles, all the other disciples, we know they fled the scene. They left. They, desert, they deserted Jesus. And Peter himself denied that he even knew Jesus, that he was one of the 12. And so in Peter's eyes, Judas is very much the villain here, right? I kept hearing this line in my head because 
you know, since Judas is gone, since he's dead, he has no way to defend himself or apologize or say anything like, guys, I made a mistake and all of that. And his story is left up to Peter and the ones that are left. And so if, if any of you are musical fans, you might know where I'm going. But the line that I kept hearing singing in my head is, who lives, who dies, who tells our story, right? Who tells your story? Who's there after you're gone to tell your story? And that very much applies to Judas, but it also applies to the rest of what we're going to learn today in Jesus' story, because his story could only continue, could only be told because of the apostles, because of the other disciples. Um, and that is why we even know his name today, because of who told his story. So we have these 11 remaining apostles, and they're waiting for this job that Jesus gave them to go spread the good news to the ends of the earth. And as they're waiting for the spirit to come upon them, they decide we're only 11. That feels incomplete. We've always been 12. And sometimes we miss a little bit of um, like with the, the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible is also how you might hear it referred to. Um, we miss some part, some understanding because numbers and geography are all very important in, in biblical stories. If it names a place or it gives you a number, um, it's not done just like willy nilly <laughs> to use just a silly term. There's a reason why it's used. And so in the Hebrew Bible or in the Old Testament, to get a better understanding um, of why 11 seemed incomplete to them, it's important to understand that the 12, the reason that there were 12 apostles is that they represented the 12 tribes of Israel. So when Israel came into the promised land and they divided up the land between them, a lot of times they cast lots there too, which is mentioned in our story. Um, they were divided up among the tribes and whatever tribe you were a part of was very important. That was a part of your lineage, a part of your story. So for the apostles to all of a sudden only have 11, to them, it, maybe it felt incomplete. And we're not given the clear reason why they decided to vote and bring in a new apostle, but maybe it was because that they felt like they had to be 12 before the spirit came. I don't know, maybe they felt like in order for this work to begin, they had to be completed and whole. Um, or maybe it was just because of what they did represent that they wanted to keep that a part of their group so that when they go out into Jerusalem, as they go out into Judea and Samaria and those who have this Jewish tie to the old, um, the ancient stories and practices that they would understand, okay, 12, this is supposed to be like the restoration of Israel. This is bringing us back together. There's a reason why there's 12. But either way, no matter what their motivation, they're all in this brand new territory, right? They've never had to make a decision like this. Um, and we're given lots of information about these two men, or at least we know that we're not given lots of information, but we know their names and we know that they were witnesses. They were eyewitnesses to what happened. Um, they meet the criteria for an apostle, which was just simply, you've been here since the beginning, maybe from Jesus' baptism. They saw the baptism with John. Um, they saw his ministry. They were a part of it. They saw his crucifixion, his resurrection, and they saw him in person when he came back to life. That was what they had to, 
to do or to know before they could be considered an apostle. And so it seems pretty reasonable. Like this is the what what has to be true about them. So they pick these two men. We've got Barsabbas and Matthias who are chosen. They're put up um, to be decided among. And what the believers, all the believers, so this isn't just the 11, but all that are gathered together, they do the thing that we know is, is good. They pray about it. Um, they put it to God. These are the people that we want to choose between, and we're asking you for guidance. But then they do something that maybe seems a little bit um, strange to us, and it's this idea of casting lots. This is kind of what I pictured. Like, have you ever been in PE and they're picking teams for whatever sport, like kickball, and you've got the two teams and it's you and one other person that are left and you're just standing there and it's like, okay, who are they going to choose? And there's just this overwhelming pressure. I, I just have to imagine this is what Barsabbas and Matthias are feeling like, ooh, who's it going to be? How are they going to choose? What's going to happen? And, you know, in kickball, it's like, well, I don't. I don't know that I want Matthias because he trips over his own feet, but Barsabbas can't catch a ball. So I don't know. Like, that's how it is with kickball. But at least in this way, they knew that they were qualified. They knew that there wasn't something wrong with them. Um, neither, both of them probably would have been equally qualified for the job. And so what the believers do next seems kind of crazy to us, but they cast lots. And what that means is basically they rolled the dice. <laughs> like they drew straws. Um, we prayed about it and now we're just going to roll the dice and see who gets to be it. And to us, that seems crazy. It, it would be like, I need an answer to this really important thing in my life. I'm going to open my Bible at random. I'm going to close my eyes and pick a verse. I'm sorry if that's the way that you make decisions, but it's probably not the wisest way <laughs> to go about it. So to us, this seems weird, but casting lots is actually an ancient um, Jewish practice. It's something that they did throughout. And so they would pray for discernment and guidance, and then they would cast lots. Again, I'm not sure if it's they thought that God made the dice roll the way he wanted them to, or if it was, again, like either choice is fine. So we're going to trust that the one that we pick in this way is going to work out okay. So that is how they choose. And we see that Matthias is the one um, that was chosen. So now we have 12. We have 12. We've got this guy, Matthias. And surely Matthias is going to be this like really important, influential apostle helping spread the message. He's going to be throughout the book of Acts and the New Testament. All No, this is literally the last time that we hear his name. Like they choose him and then that's it. We never, he's never mentioned again. And so probably at this point, you're asking yourself and you want to ask me like, Lindsay, why did you even tell us this story then? If, if his name isn't that important, if we don't hear from him again, but it's important. Um, like I said before, having the 12 apostles, it symbolized this restoration of Israel. And we know that um, the Jews, that the Israelites, they were waiting for a savior. At this point in the story, they're ruled by Rome. It's not too much further down the line that Rome will actually completely destroy the temple, um, destroy Jerusalem, and everything really gets out of hand at that point. And so they have been waiting for years and years for some kind of military 
strong, mighty savior to come in and rid them of the rule of the Roman Empire. But we know that Jesus didn't come as that kind of ruler. He came as a salvation for our souls, um, to love us and to restore our relationship and to bring that relationship with God to the rest of the world, as Jesus said, to the ends of the earth. And his whole message is that we are all loved by God. We are all in the whole world a part of God's family. And this whole first chapter of Acts is a transition from Jesus leaving, um, everyone waiting for what's next, and then the disciples, what happens next week, Joel will preach on, is when the Holy Spirit finally comes. But again, we find ourselves in this in-between place where the disciples had to sort of make up their own plan, make up their own rules for what comes next until they had the Holy Spirit there to really guide them and inspire them for what what to do to move out into the world. So I want to just pause for a second and show you this real quick because um, I think we've talked about this before, but the book of Acts is actually written by the same author who wrote the Gospel of Luke, um, if you don't know. So it's kind of cool because Luke is the only gospel that has a sequel. <laughs> um, and they really are a part, like it's a, think of it instead of two separate books, they're two parts volume of the same work. It's really a continuation of the same thing. And so I want to show you this because it's really cool going into what Jesus told the disciples to do in verse eight and what they're going to do next. So we've got this outline of Luke and the way that Luke is structured his whole gospel is going on this journey towards Jerusalem. So you can think of it as this funnel going towards Jerusalem where we know that Jesus was arrested and he was crucified and then he was he was resurrected, right? That's where the, his whole story is pointing to. Well, and then in Acts, he starts in Jerusalem, right? He starts with Jesus, he goes up to heaven and he tells the disciples to wait. They're in, again, maybe the same upper room or some kind of room, but they're together in Jerusalem waiting for the Holy Spirit. And then what happens from there, once the Holy Spirit comes, just like Jesus' words, they take this good news from where they are in this little room into Jerusalem, into Samaria, and into the rest of the world. So it's this really cool, like almost a boomerang effect or slingshot thing where it, it all funnels to Jerusalem, but then the whole purpose, it wasn't for it to stay in Jerusalem. It wasn't for Jesus to come as a military power and set up a new nation. We, we were never meant to be a Christian nation, but we were meant to spread the good news out to the rest of the world. And that's where we find the disciples waiting. They don't know what's coming. They have no idea what's ahead of them, but that is what is happening here in the beginning of Acts. It's setting us up for what is going to come next. Um, in Jesus' words, to be his witness in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria into the ends of the world. Not about world domination, but it's about love, right? Jesus' message was very different. It's an intimate kind of salvation. It's a personal kind of salvation. And I just like this visual for us to all see how these books are structured. Um, now, depending on the denomination you grow up in, a lot of them have, there's a structure to them. There's like a, a hierarchy, there's a power, there's certain people are in charge of certain things. And as you go up, you know, you're considered 
more powerful. I'm sure we all think of like the Catholic Church and we've got the Pope at the head of it. Um, so there's different denominations have very similar structures, very similar things. And just I think like the apostles tended to think and maybe I'm projecting, but we can do the same thing where we think of the people who are in charge or we think of Peter and Paul as the most important. And maybe you think of like the Pope or um, the whoever the preacher is, the, the lead minister, whoever's in charge, the bishop or whatever area. We think of them as being the most important in some way and that they have this very special calling. And they do. They do have a calling. Peter and Paul, they both had a calling personally from Jesus, right, to spread the good news. And while they were crucial um, in their involvement in spreading the good news and spreading Jesus' message, and while um, ministers and pastors, we have our call to in-person, this is our job, this is what we're doing, this is what we love, um, what about all the others? What about the 120 plus, probably maybe 200 people that were there that we never learn the names of? What about all the ordinary men and women that were a part of this original group of believers that like the women who, <laughs> the way Derek always puts it, Jesus ministry was bankrolled by women. Um, and then the spreading of the gospel, it was bankrolled by women. They supported his ministry. And the other men who went out, not just the apostles that we learned that we know their names, but how many countless other people went out to the ends of the earth to spread this good news. Um, I, I found this quote when I was um, preparing for today, and the person who wrote it, her name is Barbara K. Lundblad. I hope I said that right, but she had a um, commentary that I was reading about, and I loved what she had to say about the other people or the ordinary folks. She says, without these ordinary folks, Peter and Paul would have remained quite lonely and ineffective in bearing witness in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The people listening to today's sermon are there, or you're here, because ordinary people told somebody about Jesus. Thanks be to God. So her, her thing that she's saying is it takes the ordinary men and women to teach us the real meaning of the idea of the communion of saints. Have you heard that phrase before? Um, the communion of saints is not just the church leadership. It's not just the elders or the pastors who are running the church. The communion of saints is everyone, every name that you see on a screen today. And I think we can all think back into our own lives, our own history of the communion of saints that we can see throughout our journey who helped bring us to where we are today. Um, and I think this helps us apply today's scripture because we know, again, we know Matthias's name from today, although he doesn't do anything else. We know Peter, we know Paul, who was later converted in, um, in the book of Acts and becomes very influential in spreading um, the church throughout the Roman Empire and, and taking it to other people away from Jerusalem. Um, but there are countless other people who put their lives at risk and who dropped everything to do this same work. And then once a church was established, there was the church themselves that supported one another, who cared for one another, and who were a communion of saints together in one place. And so the reason why I went this direction, the reason why I, I want us to think of it in this way is because we have these names in the Bible and they're important 
and they did great things. Um, and in your life, I don't know how many churches you've been to, but there's pastors, there's people who do what I do, what Joel does, um, and what Derek does, and they are important. The things you know, the things that we do, and we say, obviously, we love what we're doing, and we hope that we're having a positive impact on your faith. But I think that we can all also look back at, at our life and remember, okay, who was the Sunday school teacher that loved hanging out with hyper fourth graders and teaching them the Bible and teaching them the love of God? Or who was the youth leader in your history that loved going to camp? Not everyone loves going to camp, but who loved doing that? Or Lockins? Does anybody remember Lockins? The worst and best things ever. Um, but you had youth leaders who were willing to stay up all night. And as a 12-year-old, a 13-year-old, you're fine. You love being awake. But as a 40-year-old, that is the last thing I want to do is to stay up all night long. But they loved what they were doing so much. And they felt so called personally that that is what they did. Or who is the, the friend that held your hand while you mourned the loss of a relationship or mourned the loss of a loved one and who loved you through it and who they didn't have to point you back to church or say scriptures at you, but they lived out this love of Jesus by the way that they treated you and by the way that they loved you. I bet you can come up with a name or who are the men and women who quietly set an example for us of how to live a Christian life and how to to do the things the way that we say it here is to we, we want to grow in the ways of Jesus. We're trying to become more Christ-like. We're never going to be perfect and be Jesus, but he set this amazing example for us. And there are so many names that we could all bring to mind, I think, right now. I can think of so many youth leaders um, and people who guided me in adulthood to becoming the woman I am today in my faith. And so I want us to celebrate them. And I think that that's a lot of what we can get out of this scripture. Maybe it seems a little, you know, backwards because we're learning Matthias's name. But in the end, his name, I don't want to say it's not important because it was. He did important things. But to you and me, the names that are more important are the ones that are in our own personal communion of saints and our own um, community that we're a part of. And that's why it's so important for us to be a part of the church. And then, in turn, think about the people whose lives you have influenced. Think about the people who you are a part of their communion of saints. And you're the one that they're looking to for the example of how to live a life based in the in the love of Christ. Um, I might have a calling to be a pastor at our small little amazing church in Midtown near Georgia Tech, and I love it. I was telling some of the parents this week, like I couldn't imagine doing what I'm doing at another church because it's just, I love it. Um, but you have a calling as well in your life, and it might not be to for your vocation to be what my vocation is, but in your life, whether it's at your business or if it's taking care of your kids as a stay-at-home mom or if it's going overseas to be a missionary, there's all of these different ways that this calling plays out in our lives. And so I want to challenge us. Um, I heard this or 
this quote again while I was preparing and I love this outlook and the way she put it was for our lives to be led in a way that's God directed and neighbor oriented because we can do and share so much in our everyday lives but we have to reflect the gospel in the way that we live them and in everything that we do that doesn't mean we're going to be perfect we're going to make mistakes we're going to get mad we're going to yell at someone or think poorly about someone but it's what do we do next like how do we get ourselves back bring ourselves back every time to living this life that's god directed and neighbor oriented I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to hop back into our breakout rooms so that we can talk about and and hopefully celebrate some of these people from our own lives that are a part of our communion of saints. So let me pray for us. Dear Lord, we thank you for this story this morning of the apostles and um, the naming of who helped start the church. But God, I also pray that we can remember the others that were there, the countless names that we don't know who spread your good news um, from Jerusalem out to the ends of the earth. Because it's only because of them, it's only because of those people that we're sitting here today. And I pray that you help us celebrate the people in our own lives as well, who have been that for us, who have helped us along our journey and gotten us to where we are today, sitting here at church together in this new communion of saints. And I pray that you show us how to in turn be that person for someone else. If it's at our work, if it's at our school, if it's just in our friend with our friends or even in our own family, how can we be this light um, of love that you call us to be um, in our everyday lives? Again, thank you for your salvation. Um, and we are just so grateful for the love that you show us every day. Amen.